Well, the windows of the church are open. Summer is here. Um, short sleeves are being worn up front and all over. And no, ties are off. Um, also, this time of year, the circus comes to town. How many people have gone to the circus over the years, enjoy the circus at all? Uh, there's one recently at Crestmont Park, across from the mall. I think there's one in Hatboro going on right now. What I'd like to do, though, is start out telling you about a circus that I don't think maybe any of you have ever seen before. It's called a tree circus. A man named Axel Erlinson had a passion for sculpting trees, and he was known as an arbor sculptor. And this led him to open a horticultural attraction in 1947 near Santa Cruz, California, named the Tree Circus. People flocked from all over the country to view these strange and striking-looking creatures, which are nothing short of breathtaking. Using a special set of skills, he started to sculpt these things out of living, growing trees. So let's look at a few. This one is the two-leg tree. Next one is the needle and thread tree. And one of his famous ones is the basket tree, actually, which is woven together from six sycamore trees grafted together in 42 different positions, connecting them in this shape. Now, that's an exciting story. It's a fun story. Next, I want to tell you a sad story. Um, I want to tell you a story about a natural disaster that I lived through. Um, in 1999, my family was living in Turkey when a huge earthquake hit. Our whole apartment building shook. Uh, we had to evacuate, and we actually had to live in our car for a few days until our building was deemed safe enough to go back into. Um, we, weren't, uh, we, were, we were spared, but over 40,000 people died in that earthquake. Uh, sadly, most of those people died needlessly uh, due to poor building construction. Builders cut corners and bribed inspectors because nobody thought it would really matter unless a huge catastrophe would happen. Nobody would ever notice. I have a couple pictures of that. Please notice in these pictures, go back one for a second. Notice two buildings, right? Standing still, withstood the earthquake. One did not. Go to the next one. Buildings on either side, fine. And the last one, totally crumbled. These photos gravely remind us of the importance of a solid, solid, solid foundation and the importance of good building materials and good practices. So today we're going to be looking at some metaphors that Paul uses in our verses about trees and about buildings. And these were just a couple of introductory remarks to do that. Uh, as you know, we've been studying the book of Colossians, where the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to make sure that they were well-grounded, that they were being shaped, just like that guy shaped the trees, that they were being shaped by Jesus Christ. He wanted to make sure that they had a firm foundation and that nothing was swaying them away from Jesus. A few weeks ago, Jeff taught us about Christ in us, the hope of glory. Last week, George taught us about the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And today, I want to talk about our living union with Christ. What does it mean to be firmly rooted in him? So let's turn our attention to the text for today. Jeremy, if you'd bring up that text. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What I want to do is walk through these phrases together, kind of understand what they mean, and then give some words of application for us at the end. Again, with this theme of being rooted and built up. So he starts out with, so then. So then is really a transition. When you finish saying something, and then you move on to something else. 
So we just finished, as George shared with us last week, talking about the mystery that's in Christ, the treasure that's there. And so he says, since you have this treasure, what does that mean? And he continues on, and he says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, received in here really means almost like you have a package that's sent to you, and you sign for it, and you receive it. It's something that's been entrusted to you that you accept for yourself. It's a sense where we, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote a similar thing to that church. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, And we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, again, something that got passed from one person to another and received, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So what is it they received? Christ as Christ Jesus as Lord. Now this Christ Jesus as Lord, this is chock full of meaning. What's interesting is, as much as we hear the words Jesus and Christ and Lord, this is actually the only time in the whole New Testament that they are constructed in this way, these three verses. The first one here talks about God in the flesh, Christ. And that was one at the time where the Colossians were in the midst of this Jewish people, where many Jewish people were living in the area, and they were the ones encouraging them. Jesus was just a great teacher, but he really wasn't the, the, the God, the Son of God. The second thing was is that maybe he didn't die on the cross. So the Colossians were dealing with people at that time in the Docetists, and they denied that Jesus really died on the cross. And just as we sang today, what? He died and conquered the grave. He did. And then lastly, there was ones all around them, people from different communities who were encouraging them that this is just a fad. This is just kind of some religious thing you're going through. It's not really that important. And that he is Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord. All three of these things when bundled together were Paul's way of encouraging them to take Jesus in his totality, the Son of God who died for us, who is now our Lord. All three of those things, they were beginning to be pulled apart and, and share different things that they wrestled with. And that's why Paul says, continuing in verse 6, continue to live your lives in him. Why? Because he died for us. He died for us, so we live for him. Now next week, Andrew's going to talk to us more about what does it mean, all the things that we have in him. So the verses that follow us talk about all the wonderful things that we have in Christ. So look forward to that next week. Read over those verses. Be ready to receive and understand more. But this phrase, live your lives in him, is where I want to focus on for a little bit. What does it mean to live in Christ? It, it almost sounds mystical or religious. But at that time, another way that this is often translated is walk with him. Walk with him. It's a phrase you hear in churches quite a bit, is that oh, I'm walking with God, or how's your walk with God, or he walked away from God. It's not something that we hear necessarily outside of our church wall so much, but it's really this sense of side by side. There's a classic hymn many of us are familiar with called He Lives, and it goes, and I'm not a singer, as you guys know, and he says, he walks with me, and he talks with me along life's narrow way. It's spending time in this intimate union, this union with Christ. It's a way that we continue to do things. So if you live in something, it's, it's what you do, it's how you do it. It's a sense of habit. So uh, it's how we do things. So uh, one of the things that you learn how to do things is from your family, right? We each have different patterns of things that we've learned from our families, right? How to set the table. Certain families set the table certain ways. I realized in my family certain 
my wife and I got married, we had different ways of doing things, right? Her family did something this way, my family did something this way, and we had to figure out for ourselves how we were going to do it, how it was going to be in our family. So here, what's interesting is Paul, back in this same book of Colossians, back in chapter 1, verse 10, says, and we pray in this way that you may live a life, again, this living in Christ, that may please him in every way, okay? Bearing fruit. And then he continues on in chapter 2, this or chapter 1, verse 1, saying, holy and faithful brothers in Christ. So we are now in whose family? We're in God's family. So how does God's family do stuff? How does God's family set the table? How do they go on vacation? How do they park the car? How do they do different things? How do we do things when we're in God's family? When Paul talks about living your lives in him, he's talking about doing things as if you're a child of God. Doing things as if you're part of God's family. Now, those of us who have children over the years, what's interesting is, is they go and they do these things called swimming lessons, ballet lessons, soccer, whatever it is, your kids go and do stuff, Right? And while they're doing stuff, particularly when they're younger, what do they do? They look at you when they're doing them, right? They go to try to kick Are you watching me, Dad? Dad, are you watching? Dad, Dad, hello. And, And so they want you to be watching them, right? And what do they want you to do for them? They want you to affirm them, right? You're doing it just like I told you, Maggie. Keep doing it. You know, just like I told you, you know, Rob, do it. And so that's the same way with us. God has woven into us when we've come into his family a desire to look up at our Heavenly Father and want him to be pleased with what we're doing, how we're doing it. We want him to give us what? The double thumbs up or the fist bump. You know, we want God to fist bump. Whatever it is, we want to look back at God. So if we are living in him, we have a desire to live according to his family and have him as our heavenly father be pleased with who we are and what we're doing. Now, Paul would use this same thing later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. In other words, you used to walk pleasing yourself. You didn't care about God the Father. You didn't care about pleasing Him. Now, you're walking in Him today. Now, it's the same thing with our kids. Now, what's interesting about walking in Christ, now, as our kids get older, right, and they start playing sports or doing ballet or whatever it is that they do, they actually lose interest, right? They don't even, like, know that we're there. Like, oh, if you can come, that's great, Dad. But, you know, I'm big enough now. I don't need you there. Now, our spiritual dynamic is very different, though. Our spiritual dynamic and the way that we live to please our Father is we almost become in a greater sense of dependence. So I think back to it's when my kids are younger, uh, we live on a on a road that has another road that goes through it. And so the kids always want to go over to the cul-de-sac and ride their bikes. Well, to be able to do that, they have to cross the road. So before a kid crosses the road, what are the things that we teach them to do? Look both ways and what? Now, if they're with you, what? Hold my hand, right? So, you know, this, this is just what you do, right? If you're part of this, so in our family, no, you can't. You know, did you cross the road without looking? Yes, I did. Did you not hold my yes, I did? And then they get in trouble because they know that that's not safe for them. That's not good. They could be led, they could be hurt, they could be in danger. And God has the same desires for us. As we begin to walk more and more with Him, we don't lose our grip, we don't become more independent. We be, it's the inverse, we become more dependent on Him. We become like somebody who wants to hold on to their father's hand before they cross the street. And they want, them, they want us, him to look out for us to make sure that we're, what we're going to do is safe and right. And we learn more and more that we cannot walk as Christ walked in our own strength, but must continue even in a moment-by-moment way to maintain an attitude of humility that manifests by continual dependence on him. Paul tells us, rooted and built up in strength in the faith as we were taught. So what does this rooted mean? 
Men, we looked at the trees in the beginning, right? Again, this is some sort of agricultural metaphor. He talks about this in a letter that he first wrote to the Ephesians. The letter that we're looking at here, Colossians, came a little bit later. So the church in Colossae, they were familiar with this letter that was sent over to the Ephesians. So we see in Ephesians chapter 3, parts of verse 16 and 17, he says, I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. And then he continues, this is key here. And I pray that you, being rooted up and established in love. And then he says later in that same letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.12, he says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So these concepts of being rooted and being built up are ones that the Colossian church was already familiar with, and Paul was reinforcing them here. Now, there's things that have happened to what Paul says. He says, when he says we've been rooted in Christ, it's like a deep-rooted tree. Now, with roots, how many of you think that roots here, you'll see roots all over, but do roots go deep or do they go wide? Well, actually, mostly they go wide, okay? Um, I always thought that deep roots were ones that were this way, okay, and would go down like miles to the core of the, to China, right? We dig to China. The root would go all the way to China and be sucking up all the water from Chinese lakes, right? But what I learned is the more I studied about roots is roots actually much more go wide. Now, those of you who have even tried to mow a yard, the roots are everywhere, and if you try to get rid of a tree and you pull it out, they're just, you can't believe how far the root went. And that's the concept that Paul's talking about here. He says, I want you to go so far and wide in the depth of your knowledge of Christ. There's so many places that we can learn more. Just let your roots go out as far as you can. Learn about what he did for you, what he does for you, how he takes care of you, his sovereignty, his power, his compassion. There's so many facets of Christ that we can learn. Our roots can go forever. There's no, there's no depth that they can't go, and there's more importantly, no breath that they can't go. And that's what he wants us to do here. He wants us to have this union with Christ, rooted with him, that he's the source of our life and our growth and our strength. Secondly, he talks about being built in him. Now, we turn from agriculture to construction, right? Some sort of um, building. Now, here, when Paul talks about this being built up, it already is, goes back to what we said, just as you receive Christ. So Christ is the foundation. So you've put Christ down, and he's the foundation. This building is actually building on top of things. Okay? I want to tell a story. Well, before I do that, uh, for some reason, I think we are just wired to build. Now, uh, arguably, I'm not the handiest of guys here in the church, which is why my gift set and use of, in, in service is other areas. Many of you are, and I'm very grateful for that, and you guys do a great job. But what I will say is I believe every man and woman here in this church, somehow God has wired us to build. And, and let, let me just give you a quick example. Let's see if you recognize this. Anybody recognize these? Okay, next one. Okay, and the last one? Legos, okay. How many people haven't played with a Lego, okay? Okay, even guys, it doesn't matter. My girls are playing with it. Why are we fascinated with Legos? Okay, God has wired in us to be builders, to construct, to build on top of things. You get the big plate with Legos and then you put stuff on top of it. That plate is Christ and we put it down and we, then we start building. Each one of us builds something different. Our buildings look different, but the bottom line is we are wired to build. We're going to build our lives on something, sadly. Whether it's going to be on a solid foundation, we'll talk about here in a little bit. But we, once those of us who are in Christ and have him as our foundation, we're just wired to build. So what does it look like to build ourselves up in Christ? Well, Jesus tells a great story about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. It's a very famous story. 
I'd like to read it. It says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, as in anyone who lives in me, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Think about those pictures at the beginning. It did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, who does not walk in me, who walks away from me, who does not walk side by side with me, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Remember those pictures again. So build up here describes an ongoing process, the steady growth of a spiritual structure in our lives. But it's a neat thing is it's, I don't want to get too technical, but it's in a passive voice. And what that means is, is that it's something that we don't do on our own. It happens to us. So even though Legos, we're the ones putting it down, in our lives, as we walk with Christ, he's the one who builds up the aspects of character in our lives. He's the one who adds on to our experiences and helps us process them through his word. He's the one who gives us patience when we don't have it. He's the one who gives us love. He's the one who gives us kindness. Going back to the agricultural, he's the one who produces the fruit in our lives. So these mixtures of metaphor really center around a theme of reliability. Christ is the common element he is the root and life of the plant. He is the foundation, the binding force upon which we are built. And he continues on and says, strengthened. It's been tested, put to work. These are things that you can rely on and stand on. And lastly, he wraps up saying that we are overflowing with thankfulness. Now, speaking back to kids, what is one of the first things you teach your kids, right? How to say, please, sorry, and thank you, Right? Why do we do that? Why, do we te- why don't we all teach our kids? In any culture, I've lived in a variety of countries in the world, known people in very, all cultures in the world, thank you is a common, one of the first words you learn. Why? Because that's the heart of God. God's about thankfulness. In fact, we feel it, right? You're at work or you're at home and somebody does something, or you do something for somebody, right? And, and what do you say indignantly? I can't believe they didn't even say thank you. That's just the, that's the beginning. That's, that's the beginning. So here the Colossians are still young in their faith, and Paul's saying, look, be rooted and build up and strengthen the faith as you were taught, and be overflowing with thankfulness. I have to confess, if we're not thankful people, I don't think we really understand what we have in Christ. Now this sense of overflowing is very much like a tree. It goes back to this analogy of the tree, where the fruit is just uh, so hanging on the, on the tree, it's just ready to plop off on its own. We've actually had the privilege in this area, there's a lot of great agricultural places, and we go to apple picking as a family. And certain trees that we go to are just so full of apples, they're just flopping down, you can just pop them right off. And this is the overflowing part that Paul's talking about. Your life should be so full of this fruit of thankfulness that people can see it and they can just grab one off and it just happens everywhere you go. Here, thankfulness everywhere. Guys, a thank you machine, okay? How many people do you think, if they ran into you, think that you say thank you too much? I I confess at work, I've never been characterized as that yet, okay? (laughs) I'm in management, so that also is harder, you know, but, um, you know, so it's clear that what Paul's talking about here is a pattern of living in him. What does it look like to live in Christ? It means to be thankful. Thankfulness takes our, our thoughts away from ourselves and our own accomplishments 
And on the positive side, it directs our thoughts towards God and what he's done in us and continues to do for us. So, but we're not just to just be thankful. Paul actually says something wonderful in this book of Romans, this letter to the Romans that he also wrote at the same time in prison. While he was in prison, he hadn't met the Romans and he hadn't met the Colossians, but he wrote letters to them. And the Romans, he talked about this thing, Romans 8, 38 through 39, he says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything that's in the present, nor anything to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the source of the thankfulness. The love of God in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. The one who came down from heaven as the Son of God, who died on the cross and is our Lord. So what does this mean for all of us? Well, I'd like to first say, go back to that Christ Jesus is Lord. If someone you hadn't seen, in fact, this is a great time. You get to go to picnics, and you get to go to graduation parties, and when you go to these places, sometimes you run into people that you haven't seen in a long, long time. So if you ran into somebody you hadn't seen in a long, long time, and the conversation turned to, ironically, religion, and even the word Jesus came up, who would you say Jesus is? How would you describe him to somebody? But Paul does that for us here. He says, Christ Jesus the Lord. He is the one that we sang earlier, is the one who's mighty to save. He's not a tradition. He's not something we grew up learning about. It's not some sort of stories. But he's a person who went and died on the cross for us. We put our faith in him, God's son in whom he was pleased. We put our faith in him and as our savior, the one who bore my sins on the cross. I have faith in him as my Lord, the one who is first in my life, as, as Jeff prayed for the graduates earlier. That's what we want. So if you're here today and you have never received Christ Jesus as your Lord, my call to action for you is to make today the day. We sang earlier, salvation is here, and God made a way through Jesus. So don't walk through those doors today without understanding who Jesus is. Paul explains, and also in that same letter to the Romans, in, in chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth what? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Don't leave here today without being saved. For those of us that are saved, we need to know that we've receiving Christ is just the beginning for us. Every tree starts with roots, right? It starts with a seed and you've, you've done these little projects in elementary school. You put the seed in the soil, and then you can see if it's clear that the, the roots start to grow, and then something begins to pop up. So the roots is where everything begins, which is why Paul uses that analogy, that metaphor. Our focus is to declare not just Christ Jesus as Lord, but to focus on knowing him more. Are we growing? What does growth look like in our lives? Think back to those pictures of the tree circus, and we're reminded of how growth is affected by many things. So sticking with Paul's metaphor on trees, I want to ask ourselves, how deep are our roots? How far do they go? If you were to take a moment and think of your spiritual life as a, as a tree with roots that have been stretching out, where are those areas that you've tapped into Christ, that you're sucking up the nutrients from your intimacy with him, from that intimate union for him? Where are those areas where the roots are a little stunted in their growth? And maybe those branches are underdeveloped at this time. What are the things that Christ wants you to learn more about him and experience more through him? For me, it's sometimes hard. Um, I have a job who, with a manager sometimes who's very difficult to understand and even harder to please. 
And I think Jesus isn't enough to take care of that. So I have to do something about it myself. Sometimes I, th- I have a family that's hard to manage and at times it makes me wonder um, if I'm being a quote, quote unquote good parent. And so I go and look up advice from other people outside of God's word and maybe somehow handle the situations. Sometimes I lack an outlet for pent up energy due to my physical energy, my physical injury. And so I look for some other way to be satisfied in this temporal world rather than in Christ. My roots don't go out as far as they should in places. They're stunted. And my tree looks awkward, funny. Not a beautiful like that guy did, but maybe some branches are really growing well and other branches are, are underdeveloped. What does your tree look like here today? My roots, our roots, are to be spread far, wide, and deep. Likewise, we must go deep with Christ in our union in order to find the fuel that we need to flourish as believers in order to withstand the challenges that each of us have in our lives. As our roots grow deeper, we become more and more like that wonderful imagery in Jeremiah 17, 8, where it says, He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. The leaves are always green. It has no worry in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is what it looks like. just swimming. But just as a tree can't thrive without roots, so we cannot grow unless we've been grounded in his glory and his goodness. How deep are our roots? In essence, how deep is our union with Christ? How deep is mine? Whenever we see trees this next week, and man, I love Pennsylvania that way. You can't drive around here without running into a million trees. Maybe they'd be a trigger just to remind you um, of the way that God wants us to be beautiful trees that are alongside the water, that have roots that are just deepened in him. Now, Paul continues. I mean, there's one other verse that's really wonderful about this. It's in Isaiah 61.3, and it describes that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Those are some pictures of oaks right there, big oak trees, many of which we have in our area. So moving on the same way that it starts with its roots, every building starts with its foundation. As we think back to the photos of the buildings from the earthquake of Turkey, we're reminded about how if and how sound our foundation is and the type of building we want to build on. Now the word for building here I talked about earlier is, is actually something that comes, the idea of erecting on top of something else, the erector set that we looked like earlier, the Legos, the Lincoln Logs. And here... The whole idea is that it needs to be something that can withstand when different things attack it. So the question is, how solid is our foundation? Now what's neat is, is that Christ reminds us that he is the, the solid cornerstone. Paul uses this in that letter to the Ephesians I mentioned. He has in Ephesians 2.20, he tells us that Christ himself is a chief cornerstone. A cornerstone is a big stone placed at an intersecting angle where the two walls come together and everything was built on top of that. And that's who it is. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Now what I find, um, I love games. Summer's also a time where kids are out of school and they want to play games. So one of the games we play in our house is called Jenga. I don't know if any of you have played it before, but basically you've got a, a set of blocks and then you begin to pull them out and put them on top and pull them out and put them on top. And eventually, 
things fall over. How many people are familiar with this game at all? Somewhat? Yeah, you've seen it at least. So God used this to remind me that that's not his design for our building. In the game of Jenga, really what you're doing is you're taking something that already exists and you're trying to build on top of it. And that's often sometimes what happened in my Christian life is that I'm taking my past things that I've read, the past life experience I've had, and I'm trying to live in my current reality or things in the future. That's not God's design. God's design is not for us to take little blocks from the bottom and try to build the top. His design is to add more and more blocks to fortify what we're doing and make it wider and wider. So when you make a large building, the larger the foundation needs to be. So when you build a skyscraper, you know, you've got this foundation that's really deep and as wide as you can, and then you build on top of that. And that's his desire for us. It's not a desire to take things from the past, but to drink new from him, to learn new from him. Jesus told a story about, in Luke 14, about somebody who was building a tower. Verses 28 through 30, it says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will not he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, knocking over the Jenga, everyone will see him and ridicule him and say, that fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Our life in Christ is not meant to be a basic foundation when nothing goes on top of it. We're not meant to be one or two story homes. Rather, we're intended to grow like skyscrapers. In the same way you think back to the trees, God's desire is for us to be this wonderful forest of oaks that he can look out on and just see forever that have all been deeply rooted in him. In the same way he has desires for us to have a beautiful skyline where we're all spiritual skyscrapers that have been built up, each one a different shape, a different color, a different height, but each one growing higher and higher that he can look out on a beautiful panoramic view and be God's city. A city with the builder and architect, Jesus Christ our Lord. Today our passage was a call to action to continuously grow deeper in that. I want to end with a quote by a fellow named Lloyd Ogilvy. He's talked about how assurance and aspiration were carefully balanced by Paul here in this letter. He desired that the Colossians and us be sure of our salvation and be eager to grow. They had arrived, but their journey of faith had just begun. Just like we were talking about, they, they were starting to walk with God. He wanted to assure them that their settled status as God's people, he wanted to assure them of their settled status as God's people, but he also wanted to startle them a little bit with how little they knew of the one who loved them so much. And that's what I want to do here today. When you look at those pictures of those trees or those broken buildings, I want them to startle us a bit and press us on to have a desire to grow deeper in Christ. So as we do, I just want to end in prayer. And when I want to pray, what I want us to do is just to think about you know, what kind of tree am I? What kind of building am I? And not, not to be mystical or weird, or, but just to think through as, as Paul encourages these Colossian believers and encourages us to grow deeper, um, to think through that. So let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that you've given us your son who came and died for us. We thank you for the foundation that we can build on him. God, we thank you that you don't want any of us to topple over. You don't want any of us to grow in strange and odd ways, but that you have desires for us, just as a tree has rings, to have rings going at each year after year where we've grown and learned in you. Just as a building has stories and gets higher and higher, to have those stories be wonderful examples of the things that you've done in and through us year over year. So I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at this church and for our desire to follow after you. And Lord, I pray you'll strengthen us along the way. In your name, amen.